Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Hello there. Wonderful to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So glad to see you're back. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker. Delighted to see you here because we have something very special to show you today. If you'll look over on this shelf, You'll find an old glass jar. It is quite an antique, maybe from some alchemist's laboratory. It has a cork stopper, and what you'll notice inside is quite bizarre. Now, we must be quite cautious not to wake the particles with... Oh! We have indeed awoken the particles within. This is not something that we want to take the stopper out of this container, because the particles within are quite dangerous and can form into terrors the likes of which we have not seen on this plane of existence. But while we haven't seen things here, we may have seen a representation of it in the latest season of the Netflix series Stranger Things. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at Season 4, Volume 2 of Stranger Things. The world has been waiting with such anticipation for Volume 2 of Season 4 of Stranger Things. This season has probably been, uh, for my money, one of my favorite seasons thus far. I mean, the first season will always hold a special place in the hearts of many fans, but uh, this season has just been outstanding and has been so cinematic. And not just because of the length, you know, the first half of the season, well, I can't even say half of the season, but the first seven episodes of season four just had not only the length required to tell amazing stories, and I've heard some reviewers out there bitching about the length. Well, if you don't like the series, yeah, you're going to be bored with this uh, being episodes being longer. If you love this series, you want the episodes to be even longer still. So you have to really take the reviewers and the critics that bitch about the length of the episodes, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, there are some scenes that probably could have been cut, things could have been tightened up a little, shortened up a little, but if you enjoy the ride as much as I did, then you didn't mind, you know, for the first part of the season, each episode was at least an hour long. And in this volume two, while we only have two episodes, each episode is quite long. Episode eight was an hour and a half long. Episode nine, the season finale, was two and a half hours long. And much like the episodes of the first part of the season, uh, these last two episodes felt, felt very cinematic in nature. Uh, the first part of the season had some really cool transitions uh, from scene to scene. There was a couple of them in these last two episodes, uh, but I didn't notice as many. They didn't really focus on the transitions from scenes. They were just focusing on these scenes and these characters and this story. And that was really the main focus of wrapping up this season with these two episodes. And the penultimate episode, episode 8, was very much a setup for episode 9. Uh, a lot of series that are streaming, uh, the penultimate episode is the true finale, and then the last episode is kind of the setup for the next season. Not so much with Stranger Things this season. Oh, we had episode 8 was really just the, the group's 
of kids and adults. Of course, you had Hopper, Joyce, Murray in Russia. You had Mike, Will, and Jonathan trying to find Eleven. Eleven at the facility out in, I believe, Nevada. Then you had Lucas, Dustin, Steve, Nancy, Robin, and Max all in Hawkins doing their thing. And really, it was just the all the machinations of these separate groups, what they were doing to get ready for the big battle against Vecna. You had the Hawkins kids getting essentially a plan together to go into the Upside Down and do this like surgical strike on Vecna. You had Eleven trying to get out of the facility, trying to get to her friends so she can help in the fight. You had Mike, Will, and their group trying to get to Eleven to help her get there. And then, of course, you had uh, Joyce and Hopper trying to get back to the United States so they can do their part. And, of course, none of that goes as planned. Everybody kind of has to help out uh, remotely, so to speak. And we'll kind of talk about some of the things that happen. I really want to focus on the characters, where they are, where they're going in this uh, last bit of the season and kind of talk about their overall story arcs and, and what we got to see from them and what we can kind of expect from the future. And probably the least involved storyline that, that we got was the Hopper and Joyce storyline. They're in Russia. They're trying to get back home. They're getting uh, jerked around by the smuggler that got Joyce and Murray in, uh, but kind of turned on them. They realize they're not going to get back to the United States in time. So they go back to the prison where this prison uh, acts as a prison but almost a research facility uh, because they have many demogorgon uh, demodogs all in these states of stasis they've got these particles those dark particles that kind of make up the smoky shadowy form of the mind flare they've got them contained and they realize the only way they're going to be able to help because of the hive mind nature of the upside down they figure if they can attack these particles and and cause harm to these particles it will distract whatever's going on in the upside down enough uh the evil in the upside down enough that it'll give these kids a chance to to do what they're going to do and i won't get into how they found out what the kids are doing but they do you have 11 trying to get out uh dr brenner kind of turns on her in a way uh it, it's it's really played out that dr brenner really only has 11's best interest in mind he wants to keep her from harm but in keeping from her from harm he's not letting her grow and be her own person he's controlling her and there's this big showdown at this facility between dr brenner's essentially security forces this government entity that is trying to hunt down Eleven because they feel that Eleven is responsible for, for everything that's going on. This kind of supernatural cloud that's hanging over Hawkins and everything and all these murders that are going on. Eleven eventually gets out. Dr. Brenner gets shot as a result of it. And Eleven just leaves him to die because he has been kind of a, you know, he was a villain in season one. He kind of turned in, back into a villain in this. We find out later that it wasn't necessarily him being a villain, just him having Eleven's best interests at heart in the wrong ways, if that makes any sense. But Will, Mike, Jonathan, uh, a new fan favorite, Argyle, they show up, they get Eleven. They're trying to get back to Hawkins, but they can't get there in time. So they put together a makeshift sensory deprivation tank out of a pizza cooler. <laughs> and uh, Eleven can kind of get into this 
trans-like state, and she can use her powers kind of remotely. The Hawkins kids kind of get this plan together to storm the Upside Down and take on Vecna. You've got Lucas and Erica and Max at the old Creel house, using Max as kind of bait to keep Vecna occupied. You've got Steve, Nancy, and Robin who are going into the upside-down version of the Creel house to light up Vecna. And then you have Dustin and another huge fan's favorite, Eddie Munson. Uh, they're going to be distracting these these bat creatures, demi-bats, as, as a lot of people have been calling them. And that's kind of where things are set up. The table is set for this, this final episode. Uh, and where we got there with the the penultimate episode. And one of the things I really loved about this this final episode, this episode nine of Stranger Things season four, volume two, is the fact that some of the characters that really felt like they didn't get a lot to do actually had a lot of agency to the story and also really got to do some fantastic acting. One of the things I've been really disappointed with is the fact that the Will Byers character played by Noah Schnapp uh, hasn't really had a lot to do this season. They've kind of uh, been hinting at this idea that he's hiding the secret, that he's secretly gay and has feelings for Mike. And they've tinkered with that, and it was kind of uh, lying under the surface there in the first part of the season. But you really got to see some fine acting from Noah Schnapp uh, in this season as he has that talk with Mike in the van as as they're trying to get to 11. We finally get to see the picture he painted where it's it's their little group uh, fighting this dragon. And then the person leading the charge is Mike. And, and he's got this shield that has a heart on it and I believe a crown. And, you know, that really felt like it said a lot more than, than Will tells Mike. He tells Mike that he's the heart of their group, and I'm sure uh, that is that is what it means, but it also kind of has a, a dual meaning, I think. He looks at Mike uh, as a king. He looks at Mike with a lot of heart, and I think there is a bit of a duality to the secret that Will is, is hiding. I think uh, there is a secret of him having feelings for his best friend, Mike, but I also think there is a another underlying secret because he's even said and shown on two occasions in these last uh, two episodes that he still has a connection to the Upside Down and to the Mind Flayer, thanks to him being possessed in Season 2. And, and I don't think that connection is cut completely. And is Will going to be an unwitting pawn of the Mind Flayer or, or what we find out the Mind Flayer or the, the true ultimate bad guy of this series to be later on. We'll, we'll kind of get to that. But I think there's more than one secret that Will is kind of keeping from Mike and the rest of the group. But really, uh, Noah Schnapp did some excellent acting in this scene with Mike, there was a couple other scenes where you just saw these looks of pain when when he's looking there at the pizza shop getting the sensory deprivation tank ready and Mike is hanging out with Eleven and Argyle and they're joking and having fun and you get these longing looks at Mike from Will and you saw Jonathan noticing in that and the, the real touching scene of Jonathan telling Will that, you know, he's going to love him no matter what. Uh, I think... 
Jonathan knows what's going on. I think he knows Will's secret, but he's leaving it to Will to come to him. And he essentially told him that, you know, he can come to him with anything and that he's going to love him no matter what because he's his brother. And that scene was just so touching and so heart-wrenching. And and that kind of unconditional love uh, is just, that's, that's something special. And it was really special to see that played out on the screen like that and i think both actors uh, charlie heaton and noah schnapp did such a fantastic job with that scene it just really ratcheted up the mo- emotion of this episode and of this series and it's it's stuff like that that gives this series a lot of heart Charlie Heaton, I thought, as Jonathan Byers, was also an underutilized character. I think we may get more from him in season five, but he just kind of felt lost, much like his character in this season, just kind of felt lost. Uh, He didn't want to go to college. He's just going around getting high with his friend. Uh, He's kind of avoiding Nancy because he doesn't want her to know that he doesn't want to go to college because he's afraid she'll not go to college as well. And even in the end, when those two finally meet up, he's still not honest with her about that, which the relationship already seems strained. And you just know that sort of stuff is going to put an even greater strain on the relationship and kind of lean more into this bizarre love triangle between Nancy, Jonathan, and Steve. I think I have an idea of where this might end up in a roundabout way, but we'll talk about that towards the end of the episode when I kind of give my thoughts of what to expect maybe from season five. One character that I thought was a real standout this season, actually two characters really, was the other group that was hanging out at, they were not hanging out, but uh, doing their job in this grand plan to take down Vecna in the Creel house. You had Kayla McLaughlin as Lucas Sinclair. You had Sadie Sink as Max Mayfield. Uh, Two actors that I just thought were real standouts this season. I thought Kayla McLaughlin had a really interesting story arc how he's kind of distanced himself from the group he wants to be a jock because he wants to be normal he doesn't want to be made fun of he doesn't want to be the nerd that everyone picks on but he has this great scene in the creel house where max is kind of possessed and he's trying to get her out of it but uh, this jason carver played by mason die who shows up and 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 he's kind of the character the jason character he's lucas's uh, basketball teammate but he's the one that's kind of whipped this whole town into this kind of satanic panic and goes on this kind of witch hunt uh, for anybody that's in the Hellfire Club, this D&D group that uh, Eddie Munson and Dustin and Mike and, and a bunch of others are all in. But the Lucas character has this scene with Jason where he tells him, you know, I, I, I thought I wanted to be like you. I thought I wanted to be normal like you, but but you're nothing but a psychopath. And I think it spoke a lot to the fact that, you know, uh, what is normal? People that we consider normal can be just as messed up, if not more messed up than the people that are just themselves and are maybe considered odd or different or not normal. But the acting that Caleb McLaughlin had to do when Max is taken over by Vecna and essentially, I mean, we're going to throw it out there. This is all about uh, this season, and I'm not going to shy away from spoilers. But when Vecna kills Max and the acting that Caleb McLaughlin had to do with this scene, the, the just abject pain 
and torment in his eyes and in his tears and in his voice when he's calling out for his sister to help him, which the, the one that I think where he says, Erica, help, I think that was a an ad-libbed line. And that's one of the things I thought was pretty cool is after this, uh, a lot of the writers of Stranger Things have come out to say like, you know, this line that was so iconic or that line that was really iconic or that line that was a fan favorite, uh, how a lot of these lines, these lines these people have said in the series that are are really powerful were ad-libs by the actors but kale mclaughlin just really just acting his heart out and it was just such a a heart-wrenching scene to watch but such a in an odd way a fun scene to watch just see this kid just playing all this emotion you know acting for his life and just doing a fantastic job and sadie sink throughout this whole series i i really think she has been a standout since she came to the series in season three some of the other work i've got to see her do like the fear street uh movie that she was in the second one she's just such a fine young actress and she really had some great and heavy moments to play in this she's the bait she knows she could die and yet she is facing this with bravery and, and great aplomb. And the moments she has with Lucas, the Max character has with Lucas, because, you know, they were a couple and then they kind of separated as we find them at the beginning of this season. And they're starting to reconnect, which really made the part where Max dies so heart-wrenching because you know Lucas and her are, are just getting back together they've made plans for a date it's just such a gut punch to see how this goes down now it all has a uh, uh, I'll give you my thoughts on the ending coming up later as well but I really want to just focus on the characters and the performances that I thought were exceptional now, the other group that's going into the Creel house in the upside down version of it, uh, you've got Nancy, Steve, and Robin. Uh, they really uh, don't get a lot to do in this in this big finale because they're trapped and being strangled by these vines, this connective tissue, these this hive mind vine that has kind of overtaken the upside down and this this version of the Creel house. It's not until a lot of all the other distractions work that they are able to go in and take care of Vecta with some Molotov cocktails. I mean, all three of these actors are some of the older actors as far as the kids go, and, and they've all done just a fantastic job. Robin, uh, played by Maya Hawk, has become quickly a fan favorite and quickly an indispensable part of the main cast, and she continued that. Uh, Joe Curious, Steve Harrington, uh, really has been been again another standout from the first season and has had a really uh interesting story arc he went from the douchebag jock who's picking on people to a to a hero and that's what made how they treated this finale so, so detrimental uh, i'll i'll talk about how i feel about the the body count or lack thereof 
coming up a little bit later. But I thought he just had such a great journey as far as a character that I, I wanted to see. I want to see it have a deserved ending, but it befitting the hero he's become. And of course, Nancy, uh, you know, her relationship with Steve passed and now kind of leaning into this maybe possible rekindling of relationship is all very interesting. Her character is very, its a, she's a strong female character in this and she always has been. There's no real arc. You get little bits of arc here and there with the relationship that he, she's in, but but nothing too earth shattering. But all three of these actors really, and these characters, uh, were really stalwarts and part of the foundation of what makes this show so great. Now, save one of my favorite characters, uh, a couple of my favorite characters for last, because we've got Eddie and Dustin. Eddie Munson, one of the new characters this season. Dustin, one of the uh, the original kids. Played by Gaten Matarazzo, of course, Eddie Munson, played by Joseph Quinn. They are going to be the big distraction. Of course, the Upside Downs version of the Creole House is being surrounded and protected by these bats, these demi-bats. And they need Steve, Nancy, and Robin. They need to get these bats away so they can get into this house. Well, Eddie and Dustin are going to provide that distraction. They're at Eddie's upside down version of his trailer. And they've kind of boarded up the trailer uh, so that they can fall into it as a refuge. But until then, they are going to get on the roof. Eddie has got this bitchin' black bc rich warlock guitar one of the most badass looking guitars of the 80s uh, for my money to this day they still look pretty wicked and uh, i've always been a fan of the bc rich warlock if you like hair metal or metal from the 80s at one point or another uh, somebody in your favorite band probably played a bc rich uh warlock guitar or bass or both but he pulls this bc rich warlock off the off the wall and he kind of does this uh, guitar strap slinger. He slings it around his back like a lot of the 80s uh, metal bands did. But he gets up on this roof and probably, I mean, you, if you haven't watched volume two of a season four of Stranger Things, uh, you've at least seen the screenshot of Eddie up on top of this trailer. And you've got the the lightning and the the red uh, bolts of energy in the background and this just very dark and ominous looking uh, scene and him standing on top just looking like he's shredding like a warrior and and he starts playing Metallica Master of Puppets which I thought was perfect for Vecna perfect for this season and it was just such a, an amazing and iconic scene and befitting of this character and this actor because the Eddie Munson character is a character that I loved and a lot of people. I mean, there's nothing different about me. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of fans of this series love this character because he just, he had a, a real story arc. You know, you talk about the Steve Harrington uh, story arc and the arc of becoming a hero, uh, which took several seasons to really uh, see come to fruition. Uh, the Eddie Munson character had this all within one season where he starts out, you know, he's this drug dealing uh, d 
D&D playing metalhead that is, you know, raging against the machine, against conformity, uh, you know, against being like everyone else, against being normal. But when stuff went down, when, when Chrissy was murdered inside his trailer, he ran. And you could tell in different parts that's kind of haunted him, that he ran. That's not the person he wanted to be. And we see the scene where to save Dustin and to keep the bats from going back to the Creel house in the Upside Down, where where the other characters are. He traps Dustin inside the trailer and gets on a bike and leads all these demi-bats away. And of course, they finally get to him. They attack him. Uh, he's left there dying and Dustin finally gets to him and holding him in his arms and he, he delivers this line about how he didn't run away, did he? And it's just, it was so heartbreaking to see this character that we grew to love pretty quick uh, who didn't want to be remembered as somebody running away, wanted to be remembered as a hero. You know, he's a D&D guy. He's played a hero many times, but has never got to be the hero in his own life. And and the fact that he just wants to know that he was the hero, he, he didn't run away, he stood and fought. Uh, it's just, it, it was so heartbreaking. Uh, Gaten Matazaro, his performance was so heartbreaking uh, because you got to see the relationship of these two. Uh, you know, they started out as as friends, you know, they're in his kind of D&D club. Just saw them getting closer. You saw the attachment. Eddie really loved this kid. Uh, he saw him as a younger version of himself. He saw Dustin being the one taking over the Hellfire Club when he had graduated and gone off to doing what Whatever, you know, D&D playing drug dealing uh, metalheads do after graduation. But the the sheer despair inside of Dustin at losing his friend. They had that wonderful scene where they're getting ready for battle. They're getting their trash can lids and putting nails in them and making spears and, and getting ready for this final battle. And these two characters, Dustin and Eddie, are kind of goofing around. And Eddie has this line, uh, I love you, man. And that was ad-libbed. Uh, that was one of the ad-libbed lines. And, you know, Dustin, you kind of see his reaction. Uh, you see Gaten Manazaro's reaction. It's kind of awkward. Uh, and and he says, I love you too, man, or, or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But you could tell it was a real reaction uh, to something he wasn't expecting. Uh, much like, you know, somebody tells you they love you in real life when you're not expecting it from them. Uh, it it kind of it felt like such a real moment and really added to the heart and heartbreak of this scene between these two characters as Eddie Munson lies there dying. And then there's such a, a, a heart-wrenching scene later on when things have all gone down and you've got some of the characters helping out at like a Red Cross emergency center and you see Eddie's uncle putting up a, a missing photo, actually replacing a missing person photo. Somebody draws a pentagram on it because everyone thinks he's a devil-worshipping murderer, Eddie that is. And Dustin tells his uncle what happened, essentially without going into detail, but tells him he died a hero. 
and the tears and the pain on the uncle played by Joel Stoffer were just, that was some powerful acting. Uh, Gaten Matazzaro and, and what his performance in that scene meant. It was just, he's been a rock star in this series, Gaten Matazzaro. And this season, you know, he hasn't had a whole lot of uh, real emotional stuff to do. But the stuff he had in these last couple episodes was just out of this world. And shows why him, Caleb McLaughlin, Noah Schnapp, and Finn Wolfhard, we'll kind of talk about him. He had some some emotional moments as well. Uh, these four kids were just uh, lightning in a bottle when they brought them together for this series. But going back to the Eddie Munson character, uh, another thing I really love that was just made for that epic moment of him playing Metallica on top of that trailer when he starts off, or before he starts off, he says, this one's for you, Chrissy. It just, it, it was such a, such a magical moment and just made for that scene being the powerful epic iconic scene that i'm sure it's going to go down in streaming tv even cinematic history as and before i get into kind of how this all culminates uh, i did think one thing was really cool uh, a couple couple things i noticed uh the one thing i have to say that i was totally off base and totally wrong and totally misunderstood the reference of course back in the first part of the season nancy is talking to Eddie Munson's uncle, Wayne Munson, and he makes a reference to Michael Myers. He's like that guy in the mask that killed the babysitters. And she's like, oh, Michael Myers. And I was under the impression falsely that I thought they were putting the Stranger Things universe squarely in the Halloween uh, universe. And that Michael Myers, he was alluding to Michael Myers as a real person. Uh, I forgot that last season, season three, uh, Max actually dressed up as Michael Myers for Halloween. So I, I, I totally mistook that. I was totally wrong on that. And we did see the Michael Myers mask from Max uh, make, her, <laughs> make a return when they're trying to steal this Winnebago and go get some supplies to to attack Vecna. Uh, Eddie asks if she has a, a ski mask or something or a bandana that he can wear. And she's, you know, she's like, yeah, I got a mask. And, and he's running around with this Michael Myers mask with the hair all poofed out. It, it just made for some some lighthearted moments that, that this series always seems to have some good lighthearted moments to cut through the tension. Uh, speaking of them going and getting supplies, I loved how they went to this like army surplus store to get stuff to go fight Vecna. And when they're getting ready, you see how everybody's kind of dressed up as like a paramilitary group. A, I'm sure that this had to be a Red Dawn reference because you had, especially Nancy, Robin, and Dustin all looked like characters from Red Dawn. Of course, Dustin had the, the hoodie with the bandana around it. Robin had the beret. Uh, Nancy had this outfit. She looked like one. I can't remember if it was the Jennifer Grey or the Leah Thompson character, but she kind of had a getup that looked like uh, one of theirs, if I'm not mistaken. So it was really kind of cool to see that uh, that kind of nod to another iconic 80s movie that the series is so famous for. But the whole series kind of culminates where you've got Vecna taking over Max and trying to kill Max because he needs four kills to create these four portals into the real world as a part of his master plan of 
bringing the upside down into the real world, I guess, is essentially what it boils down to, exacting his revenge. Of course, we all know that Vecna is the former number one, the former Henry Creel, but he has Max in this memory of the snowball that we got to see uh, towards the end of season three. They're in the, the school gym, and we have this really cool gunslinger moment where he's got Max up against the wall, kind of pinned her. She, he's lifted her up, and all of a sudden he comes just like he's jerked back uh, from out of nowhere. And you see Eleven's there, and you had this really cool kind of uh, almost, for lack of a better term, and you know they do a lot with D&D, kind of like, like this wizard's battle, uh, this psychic battle between Vecna and Eleven, which ultimately looks like Eleven's got his number, but then, of course, Henry Creel, a.k.a. Vecna, uh, shows why he is as powerful as he is. Of course, uh, they've mentioned before, Dr. Brenner mentions to Eleven that not only does he have his power, but he uh, takes the power of all of his victims. So he has, he has a lot of powers inside of him. And that all comes to bear when he sub subdues Eleven. And then he essentially pulls the old James Bond villain where he kind of spills the beans on everything. Eleven tries to uh, appeal to his human sensibilities and say that he's not the monster. Dr. Brenner was the monster. He's the one that created. And, and Vecna talks about how after she disintegrated him into one of these portals that she created, he went to this essentially this other dimension with rocks floating in the air and you see demogorgons uh, walking around and then he finds this cloud of particles like a like I talked about earlier that that we see form into the spider-like mind flare and he somehow which I, I'm sure they'll get into the the nuts and bolts of it maybe in season five but he uses these particles to turn himself into Vecna which is uh, we'll talk about the, the creature design, but he turns himself into Vecna. He uses it to take control of the, the Demogorgons. And, and what I think is shape the land into this kind of other world version of Hawkins. Now, there's a lot of speculation that the world he goes into and the upside down version of Hawkins are two different places. Again, it's probably something they'll flesh out in season five if, it, if they are two different places. But this whole time, we've been under the impression that the Mind Flayer is the big bad of this series and that Vecna was just his five-star general. The Demogorgons, the Demodogs, the Demobats are, are all kind of the foot soldiers. And Vecna tells Eleven and all of us that no, he is actually the one that's been behind everything. He created the Mind Flayer, so to speak, out of these particles that, that power him. Uh, now, is there going to be some sort of power struggle between the two entities, Vecna and these particles that make up the Mind Flayer? I, I don't know. But he made the Mind Flayer in the image. We see this flashback to when he's a little kid and he's drawing what looks like the Mind Flayer before he even knew. Uh, of course, the, the Henry Creel character had a fascination with Black Widows and Spiders. He felt them as the apex predators and... He turned the Mind Flayer essentially into his spider version of the character. So yeah, we find out that Vecna has been behind everything from the start. And as Eleven tells Vecna that Dr. Brenner was the real monster, Vecta informs Eleven that no 
Dr. Brenner wasn't the monster, that he is the monster, and that she created him. So now we have Vecta. We realize that he is the monster of Eleven's creation. He is the one that has been behind everything that's been going down in Hawkins and the Upside Down from the start. He's killed Max. He has Eleven subdued. And then you have this uh, really good scene with Finn Wolfhard as Mike, where he gives Eleven this pep talk while she's in the sensory deprivation. She's being killed by Vecna. And this is where you get to see Finn Wolfhard. He's done some good acting in this, but this is really where he brings his acting to bear and gives this uh, kind of rousing speech. Will tells him that he is the heart, he is the leader, and that he needs to be that. And then he does that. He becomes that for Eleven, where he's talking about how she's not a monster. Because earlier in the season, she was questioning whether she was a monster or a hero. But he says she's not the monster, she's the hero. And really kind of pumps her up and gives her the power. Uh, she uses all these good memories to power herself. And therein lies the real difference between Eleven and Vecna's powers. Vecna, when he was Henry Creel at the Institute where Eleven was being kept by Dr. Brenner, was encouraging her to use all her painful and sad memories to harness her power. He wanted her to do that because that's what he uses to, to get his power is is pain and anguish and bad memories uh, we see in a flashback earlier in this season how eleven used all her good memories of her mother to to harness her power and that's kind of the light and dark side of the force uh, for lack of a better term uh, that we get with these two characters vecna uses pain and, and torment to, to power him where Eleven uses good memories and love and happiness uh, as the basis for her powers. And I imagine that probably is all going to come to bear in the final season and how she ultimately defeats Vecna. But back in the story at hand, you have Eleven. She escapes Vecna's grasp. And between her and Steve, Nancy, and Robin, who are let loose from their trappings because of, of all that's going on, that where uh, Vecna can't keep concentrating on just them. He's been wounded. Uh, they go in and light him up with Molotov cocktails. And we think we've seen the last of Vecna. We think he's destroyed. But not before he's taken out Max. And we get that amazing scene with Caleb McLaughlin holding the Max character. And of course, Vecna's got his fourth victim. Uh, another portal opens up and all four of these portals start to grow. And it kind of makes this big X in the middle of Hawkins where all these portals meet. Then we have the scene. It's a couple days later. Uh, essentially, the whole main cast meets up at Hopper's old cabin. They're fixing it up. The kids are fixing it up to keep Eleven kind of hidden there. But but everyone shows up. And, and then they have this really foreboding scene where Will, the, the uh, hair on the back of his neck, starts to stand on end. And all of a sudden, we see these little particles, these little white floaty spores that you always saw in the Upside Down. Uh, you're now seeing them in our world, in Hawkins. And then they crest this uh, flowery field. Uh, very fake looking flowers, by the way, but this flowery field that kind of ends and then it's all of a sudden gray and dead and it, this hills overlooking Hawkins and you see this, this X-like portal and all this smoky, cloudy, upside down atmosphere pouring out and the fires and, and it's just a very foreboding end 
to season four as we get ready for season five. Now, one of the things that was a little bit disappointing for this season for me was the body count or lack of a body count because everyone kind of kept uh, alluding to the fact that there was going to be this huge body count. The Duffer brothers, some of the actors all said it here and there. Uh, you really didn't get that much of a body count. Uh, it was essentially Dr. Brenner, uh, which you saw that kind of coming eventually. Um, especially with him kind of making the heel turn again, uh, or what we thought was a heel turn. You had the Max character who died, but then didn't die. because. And this is one of the things that really disappointed me, because you see Eleven kind of in that black, watery mind space that she goes into, where she can kind of uh, see people and then kind of get into their heads from there. She's there. She's with Lucas. She's with Max. As Lucas is holding her, Max is dead. And she touches Max's heart and says, essentially, you're not going anywhere. Essentially, you're not dying. And she revives Max. So it really took all the power out of that scene and really takes a lot of the stakes. I mean, you still feel like there's some stakes at play. But if Eleven can bring everybody back from the dead, then, then nobody, there's really no threat to anybody. And that's the one thing that really disappointed me. I wanted to feel some weight of this mounting doom. I wanted there to be some, some main characters, maybe not the four boys or Eleven, but I wanted to see some of the other main B characters or C characters uh, meet their untimely demise. And, and they set it up. They made you think that everybody could have died in this. They made it look like Hopper could have died. They made it look like Lucas could have died. They made it look like Steve was going to die on, on multiple occasions. Maybe Robin. Uh, everybody looked like they could have died at some point. And they kind of acted like they were foreshadowing that a little bit with some of the interactions the characters had. But ultimately, nobody of any consequence really died. Dr. Brenner died, but he was kind of a, a C character at best. You had Eddie Munson, quickly a fan favorite, died. Very powerful scene, but ultimately not one of the main characters, so it didn't really have as much weight to it. Uh, you had the Jason character. He died. He had his comeuppance. He had this fight with Lucas and was kind of lying there knocked out, and when the portal to the upside down opened up in the creole attic uh it kind of cut through him and almost burnt through him uh it was kind of a, a really quick but really graphic kill but ultimately an inconsequential character in russia when hopper and joyce and murray and dimitri go back to the prison uh, there are a lot of bodies there. A lot of Russian soldiers died. So yeah, I guess technically there was a high body count. It was just no one anybody really gave a shit about. And that's where I wanted to see them do the brave thing and kill off some main characters. Like I said, you don't really want to kill off Dustin, Lucas, Will, or Mike. And, and you can't kill off Eleven. You want those five characters there for the finale they started this thing they're going to end this thing but you really had an opportunity to like i said raise the stakes kill off a a nancy kill off a jonathan 
Uh, I like both those characters. Kill off a Robin. I, Maya Hawk has just been an absolute rock star since she's come to this cast uh, last season. And I would hate to see that character go, but that really makes things a little more serious. And the fact that anybody could die at any moment, that's one of the things that make Game of Thrones so great, is that for at least a time, anybody could die at a moment's notice, no matter how big of a star they were. I know a lot of people are really protective. A lot of people are like, you know, it's the whole bullshit with Norman Reedus and the Daryl character on Walking Dead. There for the longest time, they teased killing him off. Uh, and you had a lot of fans doing the whole uh, Daryl dies, I riot, bullshit, whatever. Nobody gives a shit whether you're going to riot or not it, because you're not really going to riot. Uh, but you had that sort of mentality with the Steve character. A lot of people were like, if they kill off Steve, I'm not watching the show anymore. Okay, baby. I love the Steve character. I love where the Steve character has come from. I like the character arc this character has had. I love the trajectory. But how do you pay off that by letting him die a hero's death? I think that would have been really powerful and raised a lot of the stakes going into this final season. Now, that being said, I would hope that maybe some of these characters do meet their untimely demise in this final season. Kind of do the Harry Potter thing. The last two movies uh, saw some Maybe not main characters. It wasn't the the three main kids, but but you saw some of the the terti- secondary and tertiary characters meet their untimely demise in the big battle. Uh, I would hope maybe we'll see that, and I think that is where we're going to see this love triangle between Nancy, Jonathan, and Steve come to a close. I think one of the three is going to die in the finale. It's either going to be Jonathan or Steve uh, sacrificing themselves for the other two and the two that are left end up together or or maybe nancy does it maybe nancy sacrifices herself to save jonathan and steve and nobody ends up with her because i I think that you know as much as i like the idea of the steve character dying and and giving this hero's death or the jonathan character doing the self-sacrificing thing like he's always done and sacrificing himself so nancy could be with somebody that he perceives as better you know i I like both of those scenarios but nancy sacrificing herself so both of these guys can live one is is also very powerful and two that's it says something, you know, that women aren't the prize for the victor or isn't the prize for whoever's left. It really plays into her being a strong female character. As much as I know a lot of people find her character annoying, it is a strong female character that I think that really would be an end befitting of her character. But where is this Caesar series going to go? I mean, we've got season five. Uh, there's no telling when it's going to come out. I know that they have talked about doing a, a bit of a time jump for this season five because Lord knows how long it's going to take for them to to make it. And I know a lot of people bitched about the the age gap between the last season and this season because it took so long to finally get here. I, I don't know. I, there's also been talk of them filming these two seasons back to back. 
and so to speak you know going jumping from filming and production of season four right into season five uh, which would be smart you got to strike while the iron's hot you've had an amazing season well i know some people felt the last two episodes were a little lackluster uh didn't have the body count that seemed to be what everyone's saying we were going to get uh i still loved it i think it was full of great characters great stories great endings to some of those stories and it really set up an insurmountable situation for them going into season five you've got this idea that the the upside down has this huge portal opened up now that Vecna and the Mind Flayer and their minions can come pouring out and take over our world. How are they going to stop that? It's, you know, insurmountable odds that we know our heroes have to find a way to, to fix it. So it, it really opens the door for really anything, which which is fun. I, I'm really excited to see where the story is going to go. Uh, you know, there's some things that are a little predictable. Uh, we, we have a feeling, you know, we know where things are going to go. I would hope that they would subvert some of those expectations a little more in season five than they did in season four. Because like I said, I, I really thought we were going to get a legit body count in this and it would have raised the stakes maybe we'll get some more of that in in season five maybe they'll amp up the stakes they'll amp up the the cost of of this war that is coming with those sorts of things but i'm really excited to see what's going to happen i'm really excited to see these characters return as well you know everybody has has done such a great job i know some of the some of the characters can come across as a little annoying i know a lot of fans think nancy's annoying i know a lot of fans think joyce is annoying i thought joyce uh the joyce character i think winona Ryder plays her very well joyce in a lot of those early seasons, was just worried about her kids and came off as a little manic at, at times. But that's how parents get when they feel their kids are in trouble and their kids are threatened and all they want to do is protect them. And I think it's really how the character's written and Winona Ryder playing that character very well. She's playing that manicness that anybody who has kids can understand to a degree. The Nancy Wheeler character, sometimes I wonder if people are just upset that she's just not another damsel in distress. She's a strong woman, and, and to some people that can come across as annoying. Uh, I think it's interesting. I think it really, especially for this time period that this is supposed to be going down in, you saw the rise of women in business, and well, women were still very objectified in the 80s and really not given their fair shake in a lot of scenarios. Uh, it really was where women's lib was really starting to gain some traction, and, and you saw powerful women starting to emerge at, at that time period. And I think, you know, that's what that Nancy character embodies. And if you find that annoying, then, you know, what can I say? But I, I find the character very interesting. Another character I really love, and I haven't really got a chance to talk about her very much, is the Erica character. Erica Sinclair, played by Priya Ferguson. I have really come to love this character. 
at first she kind of played the annoying bratty little sister and but she always had these funny little one-liners her character is full of piss and vinegar and she doesn't take shit from anyone you talk about strong female characters this character of erica really embodies that she goes from you know calling her brother and his friends nerds for playing D to now all of a sudden you know in where we find her now she's playing D and and uh, just that transition, how she grew and and became more and more of a regular character in this to uh, being part of the main cast uh, for all intents and purposes. I mean, she's not the four main boys and an 11 level of main cast, but she really has become an integral part of the story. And, and it's been really fun to watch Priya Ferguson play this character the way she does, because like I said, she always has these amazing, funny one-liners and, but it's not comic relief all the time. I mean, she does have some agency into the story. She's helping them out. She's, you know, helping uh, advance the story and be a part of the main story. So, like I said, very fun to watch her character go from this little side character that's just the annoying little sister, a very stereotypical character, to becoming more of a main player. And I, I look to see more of that in season five i look to see her character as she's growing and becoming older as a person and an actress uh i I look to see that character that erica sinclair character to become even more of a main player in season five so i just wanted to mention that i really haven't had a chance to talk about her uh in this season yet but uh did want to make mention of that really enjoyed her performance among some of the other outstanding performances this season and ultimately this has been an amazing season because the look has just been fantastic the creature design on Vecna is really telling you know I I wasn't sure about the creature design at first I mean it looks very cool but when you find out this big revelation that Vecna has been the big bad all along and it's he's kind of made of these viney tendrils that look like the vines that kind of reach out through the upside down and, and are part of this connective hive mind tissue uh, it all makes sense now is that all of this comes from him he is made of this stuff he looks like these viney tendrils kind of woven together and the design Design, while it looked cool before, it makes so much more sense after this finale that uh, it just makes me appreciate the creature design all the more. And the look overall has just been fantastic. The the special effects are really good. Uh, there's some scenes, you know, you get some scenes from time to time with the Demogorgon, the Demodogs especially, that look a little slightly wonky with the CG, but all in all, the CG effects, the green screen effects, the practical effects all look really good, especially, you know, when you consider this as a streaming series. It's not a big theatrical production, but you're getting theatrical production quality out of the acting, out of the music, the needle drops, the scores, the special effects. I mean, I've seen big time productions with worse special effects than you're seeing in this streaming show. So that says a lot to the, the care and the effort and everything that they're putting into this series. And the writing has been fantastic. And the little drops here and there of Easter eggs, whether it be talking about, you know, 
Easter eggs for Stephen King stuff. Easter eggs for different things that are, are of the 80s. You had Lucas reading The Talisman, a Stephen King and Peter Straub book, reading that to Max while she's in the hospital recovering. And of course, the Duffer brothers are doing a, a version of The Talisman. I don't know if that's for Netflix or whoever, but they're they're doing that after Stranger Things is done. And, and, and The Talisman is about uh, a kid that kind of uh, can travel between dimensions. Uh, he travels to another realm. So it's just little Easter eggs like that. So much attention to detail in the writing and the production of this just makes this such a, a fantastic series to watch and a fun series to watch. If you love horror and fantasy and science fiction, these genres, this really is the best of all of those worlds and why I really enjoyed the series so much and why I really enjoyed this season so much. I hated that we had to have a month off between the uh, the first part of the season and the last two episodes, but given the scope of everything, you need a little time to, to digest those first seven episodes before you moved into the monumental task of watching uh, four hours of these last two episodes and essentially one big uh, season finale. So really loved this season, season four, volume one and two. Really looking forward to uh, season five, the final season of Stranger Things. And I know they're talking about doing a spinoff. I'm interested to see where they're going to go, how the spinoff is going to work. But we'll find out about that when that comes to light. And we'll give you more details on what we know and what we find out about season five, when we're going to see it, and when we can expect it. So until then, I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Stranger Things Season 4, more specifically, Volume 2. You can check out more on all the genres you know and love, horror, fantasy, and sci-fi at our Facebook page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We're always posting trailers and articles that we find all over the internet, adding our thoughts and comments. We'd love for you to add your thoughts and comments, so uh, like the Facebook page. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, please subscribe, like it, download it, follow it, whatever you have to do. Leave a review, five stars would be awesome. That helps uh, get the word out about this uh, this podcast and and please feel free to share this podcast with anyone you know who loves horror fantasy and science fiction so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkins curiosity shop Ha 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 ha!